Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. I want to welcome everybody here in the room, everybody watching online as well. And I thought I would start off this morning with a question about change. Okay, I want you to think about bad habits. Think about ruts that you get stuck in in life. Bad attitudes, wrong impulses, a lack of discipline. How many of you would say that you would like to change at least one thing about the person sitting next to you? Would you raise your hands up really high? Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Already got a few of you in trouble. Okay, seriously, (laughs) how much change do you think you are capable of? You know, there's a fascinating book by this researcher by the name of Carol Dweck, and she was very interested in how people handle limitations, obstacles, failure, and change. And so she took a group of 10-year-old children and gave them ever-increasingly difficult math problems to solve to see how they would handle failure. And of course, most students, when they would hit failure, they would get discouraged, they would get depressed. But a few had a totally different response. You know, one kid rubbed his hands together, smacked his lips and said, oh, I love a challenge. Another 10-year-old failing one puzzle after another said, oh, I was hoping that this would be informative. And she noticed with these kids, not only were they not discouraged by failure, they didn't even think they were failing. They thought they were learning. And so she came to this conclusion about human beings and human nature, that human beings really have two very different ways of responding to the world, two different mindsets about the world. And one of them is what you might call a closed mindset. And I want you to write that down if you have your outline there, a closed mindset. And the idea is this, that your life is kind of like this jar right here. And it's full of a fixed amount of traits and qualities represented by these ping pong balls. And every one of these ping pong balls is labeled it. And we all feel like we have to have it. Like I have a certain amount of intelligence and giftedness and attractiveness, athleticism, wealth, whatever it may be. This is me. My life is this jar. And my worth depends on how much it I have. My gifts, my talents, my abilities. And so my job is to try to make people go, wow, when they look at my jar, at my life, and say, he's got it. Now, if that's the way I think about life, then then challenges are mostly something to be avoided because anytime I'm challenged, my worth is on the line and it might show that I I don't have enough it. And so I try to arrange my life so I'll always have successes and and never fail. I never, ever want to make a mistake because then people might think I don't have it. And I go through life comparing how much it I have to how much it you have. And we see this very early on. We see this with kids in school. Sometimes when there's a big exam, okay, one student will say to another, you know, I didn't even study for this test. You ever heard that one before? Now, why would we say that? Well, because if I get a bad grade and you find out I got a bad grade, then I'm still smart. I've still got it. But if I get a good grade and you think I didn't study, I have even more it. But what if I have problems? Like what if I discover that I don't have a whole lot of it? What if this is all the it I have, right? 
It doesn't look very impressive next to you, does it? And even worse than that, what if, you know, this is, this is all the it I have, right? I'm not smart, pretty, athletic, or strong. I, I just have this one talent. It's about the size of this marble right here. Like, this is my life. My life is this jar. And I have to stand next to your jar. I don't like that. So that, people, is a closed mindset. And this researcher said that most people go through life with this kind of a mindset, and it's just filled with fear and a constant pressure to prove yourself. Well, this researcher said there is another approach to life, another mindset about life, another way to go through life, and it's with what might be called a growth mindset, okay? Does everybody know this? Write, write, write down a growth mindset. Does everybody know what this is? Anybody? A bonsai tree, yeah, a, a quite lovely, beautiful little bonsai tree. And the growth mindset, what it says is what matters is not how much it you have. Your, your life is not like a jar with a lid on it. Your life is like a seed that can be planted and grow. What matters is not your raw ability. What matters is growth. And growth is always possible. And a commitment to growth means that I embrace challenges. And so the goal is not to go through life and show people how much smarter I am than them or, or more competent than other people. The goal is simply to grow beyond where I am today. Failure is indispensable and actually a means to learn and to grow even further. And one more thing to notice, okay, a jar has a lid, but a plant has roots. See, growing always involves trusting that I will receive something, life and nurture from a source outside of myself. So life is all about growth. Now, I want to take these mindsets out of the secular realm, and I want to focus our message today on the person of Jesus Christ. And my hope is that by the end of today, you will understand and admire and love Jesus like never before. And not just that, there is a tremendous truth about Jesus that you might not have thought a whole lot about before. It's how he got his power to live his life that could change your whole mindset and existence starting today. And I hope it will for all of us. So if you don't mind, we're going to dive a little deep this morning. We're going to get into some theology. And we're going to talk about the doctrine of the incarnation. Okay, the doctrine of Jesus' incarnation. That's what it's called. See, Jesus' impact on humanity was so great that for years, actually centuries after him, people wrestled with his identity. They said, who was this guy? Right? Nobody has ever been the conundrum to the human race that Jesus was, ever. And on the one hand, people who looked at his life said, Jesus was unlike any of the rest of us. He was totally unique. And they would actually list out all the different ways that he was unique. And let's talk about a few here. For starters, he had an utterly unique relationship with God. Like if you go through the Old Testament, you find these people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Esther, Elijah, who had extraordinary encounters with God. But nowhere do you find anyone who had the kind of confidence, familiarity, and intimacy with God that Jesus said he had. One little example of this, he's the first person to ever address God with a tender Aramaic phrase, Abba, Father. Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. One New Testament scholar noted, there is no instance of the use of Abba as an address to God in all the extensive prayer literature of Judaism. Like there's no other person who did that 
before Jesus. No record of that. Jesus was also unique in his ministry. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And he said, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Wow, Jesus said the kingdom of God was now present simply because he was now present. Like nobody said stuff like that before. He also made very unique claims. One day he said to a group of people, before Abraham was born, I am. If you know a little bit about that phrase, I am, that was the greatest title for God in the Hebrew scriptures, Yahweh. And Jesus is now applying it to himself. Before Abraham, the great father was, I am. He got in a lot of trouble for saying that one. He also led a very unique life. Okay, Hebrews says he's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin, never sinned. He died a unique death. Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins. Like everybody dies, but Christ died for our sins. He also uniquely refused to stay dead. Paul says he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So people looked at his life and and they asked themselves, how many other human beings in the history of humanity have had a unique knowledge of God the Father, have claimed that they brought the kingdom of God to earth in person, have said that they preexisted Abraham, never sinned a single time, died for the sins of the whole world, and then rose from the dead and launched a worldwide movement. Okay, pretty much just him. And so they came to this staggering conclusion about his life that he was indeed the son of God, that this Jesus was the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh. But that's only half of the story. See, Jesus wasn't like us at all, and yet he was just like us. And this part is just as important. You know, in our day, you'll often hear folks, especially outside the church, say, well, I believe Jesus was a good man, he was a good teacher, but he he was not divine. Well, interestingly, the very first heresy, the very first false teaching the early church faced didn't deny the deity of Christ. It was a denial of his humanity. Okay, it was called docetism from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or to appear. And it taught that Jesus wasn't really human. He just appeared to be human. Well, against this, the New Testament writers insisted that Jesus was not God walking around in disguise. He was human in every way we are. The Bible says Jesus was, quote, fully human in every way. Fully human in every way. You know, we read about Jesus being hungry, thirsty, tired. The Bible talks about him being grieved, troubled, angry, in pain. He grew like we grow. He bled like we bleed. He died like we die. And I think we need to think about this a bit because sometimes our songs mislead us, like the old Christmas carol, Away in a Manger. Like there's a line in it that goes like this. Okay, it goes, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, finish it for me, no crying he makes. Has anybody here ever seen a non-crying baby? Anybody? Would you raise your hand? Enough said. I mean, if there's one thing we know about Jesus from the Bible, it's that he did cry. 
He cried. He wept when his good friend Lazarus died. He cried. He wept when he looked at Jerusalem and saw all these people he loved rejecting him. The New Testament is so adamant about Jesus' humanity that the Apostle John actually writes this. He says, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. People who don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh are deceivers. That's false teaching. He came, the Bible insists, in the flesh. That means as a real person. He's like us. Well, it leads to this obvious question. If in Jesus, God became truly human, like if he said, I will not use my deity to shield myself from hardship and suffering, for the sake of humanity, I will enter into human limitation, human weakness, human temptation. I'll play the game with both hands tied behind my back. Then how did Jesus accomplish the remarkable things he did? Well, the answer is simply this, by his complete utter moment-by-moment dependence on the Spirit of God. That's how he did it. We're told by Matthew that at Jesus' baptism, heaven opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. You know, Mark said the Spirit landed in Jesus. That's a physical picture of a spiritual reality up there coming down here. The presence and power of the Father was invading, was fully available to the man Jesus through his complete and utter dependence on the Spirit of God. The New Testament insists that Jesus became fully human, but he was led by the Spirit of God. That means he operated in the power of the Spirit. The Bible says that Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. If you flip over to Romans, Paul tells us that it was actually the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus was supremely a man of the Spirit. The the soil from which he drew his life, his nurture, and his strength was God's Spirit. He did not use his his deity, his ping pong balls, for his own advantage. The Bible says he, he emptied himself. In Philippians 2, Paul says this about Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That term can mean held on to. So he let go. It says, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He became truly, fully human. He depended not on his own strength, not on his own wisdom, which by the way, as God in the flesh, I believe he could have done that. He could have done that. But instead, he depended on the presence and the leading of the spirit every moment of his earthly life. In John 5, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do, say it with me, nothing. The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in the same way. And now comes this staggering fact. If Jesus became fully human, which he did, and if he lived the life he lived by his complete, utter dependence on the father and the spirit, which he did, and if the same spirit who lived in Jesus is now available to live in and through you and me, which he is, then the lid is off the mason jar. And up there has come down here. It means we can do this as well. 
Like God desires that you and I burst beyond the limits of human self-sufficiency. But we live in a culture where the temptation to depend on ourselves and say, I've got it, I've got it, it's so, so strong. But the truth is you don't have it and I don't have it. In fact, just for fun, I want you to turn to the person next to you right now and say, brother or sister, you don't have it. Go ahead, let them know. Is everybody clear about that? (laughs) Good. Now, the good news is God has it. Well, better than that, God wants us to have it. God wants to give it to us. Paul says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your immortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You I love how Eugene Peterson phrases this in his Bible commentary, which by the way, the message is not a Bible translation, okay? It's more of a commentary on the Bible. But I like the way he kind of phrases it here. This is his commentary on this passage. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? Yeah, we live in a world that says the only life you have is the do-it-yourself life. No, it's not. In fact, I would say that life is a barrier. That life is a barrier to where we need to be. And so I think my goal should be to spend as many moments as possible, more and more moments each and every day where I'm aware of God's presence with me and I am fully dependent on his spirit in that moment. Doing life with God is the way we say it around here. That should be our goal. Now I want us to talk and think for a minute about how did Jesus actually depend on the spirit in different areas of his life and how can we do the same? Well, from the very beginning, Luke says that as a child, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. All right, let's think about this for a moment. Jesus grew in wisdom. What does that mean? Well, it means he came as a real baby, as a real child, and he had a ways to go. Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus wasn't lying in a manger thinking, wow, I'm really the God of the universe and I know everything but I will gurgle and coo to fool everybody into thinking I'm just an ordinary baby here. I don't think so. Jesus was a real baby, a real human baby. I'm not so sure he started off life with this encyclopedia of omniscience in his head. And we don't know this for sure, okay? Because even if he did, okay, let's say, even if he did have access to all that, the Bible's very clear he did not avail himself to it. He humbled himself, Paul says. He was subject to all the normal laws of human growth and development, but he learned through the Spirit. At the beginning of his ministry, we're told, on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Hmm. He developed customs. He developed rhythms, practices that allowed the Spirit to grow him. He committed himself to corporate learning and worship, what we're doing right here. When he was tempted, each time he said, it is written, and he quoted scripture. How did Jesus know the Bible? Did he have it all downloaded like some magic app from heaven or something? I believe he immersed himself in these words being taught by the Spirit. Now, what if we were all to do that? 
Like what if we were to depend in our minds on the Spirit moment by moment by moment? Now, there's a great obstacle to this. It's reliance on our own smarts. And don't get me wrong, education can be a great gift. It can be a remarkable thing. But relying on our own smarts, playing the smart card, always having to be the smartest person in the room is a kind of disease for many people. And it can lead to an awful lot of arrogance and self-sufficiency and pride. Now, I heard this statement a few years back. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, okay? Yeah, I want everybody to say that, okay, because you're looking at me like, what? I think we all need to, can we all say this out loud? And when you say it out loud, I want you to say it like you really mean it, okay? We're going to say, I'm not the smartest person in the room. On three, one, two, three. I'm not the smartest person in the room. Very good. All right, everybody here just spoke the truth except for one person, okay? That one person, whoever you are, you're in the wrong room, apparently. Just saying. The Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, man, just depend on your ping pong balls. If any of you lacks wisdom, go, go to school, get educated. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. That's a novel idea. Who gives generously to all without finding fault. I mean, what if for every problem, every challenge, every time I'm confused and I don't know what to do, instead of relying on my own smarts, I just ask God, would you guide me? Would you give me wisdom here? What if I said, I'm going to immerse my mind in this book right here so that my thoughts will be shaped more by these words than any other single source? Like, we can do that. And maybe you have a difficult job. Maybe it's mundane tasks that feel really unimportant. You know, we're told that Jesus became a carpenter. How did Jesus become a carpenter? Again, we tend not to think about stuff like this, right? But I think I can safely tell you how it didn't happen. Now, I remember two very goofy TV shows that I watched as a kid growing up. One of them was I Dream of Genie, and the other one was Bewitched, okay? How many of you have ever seen those shows? Let me see your hands up high. Okay, good, good. Not quite as many as Sun City, but pretty good, all right? <laughs> I'm sure I'm my age here too. Okay, so the two star characters in these shows were, were, were Jeannie and Samantha. Jeannie was a genie, and, and do you remember how she accomplished stuff? And she, she blinked her eyes. Okay, Samantha was a witch, and how did she get stuff done? Yeah, she twitched her nose. Exactly. Y'all did watch those shows. Good for you. But Jesus, I do not believe Jesus just blinked his eyes or, or twitched his nose. He really became human. He humbled himself. I mean, he learned that trade like, like any of us would. He apprenticed under his father, Joseph, and, you know, patiently through trial and error, he learned how to, how to measure and, and, and cut and hammer and build and shape. And I believe he depended on the Spirit every bit as much as a carpenter as he did when he was a rabbi. And what if no matter how big or small our jobs are, carpenter, teacher, computer programmer, what if we all did our jobs in the Spirit and through the Spirit? Like, what might God do in and through us? How amazing might that be? Like, what might happen in our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, our churches? What might God do if all the good works he's called us to do as his masterpiece, they all flowed from a dependence on the Holy Spirit? And the bottom line is this, what enabled Jesus to burst beyond the bounds of normal human limitations was his reliance 
on the Holy Spirit, was the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through him. And that same spirit is available to you and me right now today. But we live in a culture where it's all about showing people that I've got it. We depend on it. And it's kind of a strange thing. I mean, things like education, intelligence, athleticism, gifts and talents, those can be good things. But I'm telling you, they can also be enormous barriers to the spirit-filled life. So I'm convinced that what God is calling us to as a church, starting with me, is to be humbled, it's to be challenged, it's to be stretched like never before. To see what God could do through a group of people who live in complete, utter, moment-by-moment dependence on the Spirit of God. What might God do? Will you pray with me? Right now, I just want us all to take a moment just to open ourselves up to God's spirit who is alive, who is here with us in this room. Heavenly Father, you look out over all the jars in this room filled up with so much good stuff. But would you free us, God, from our fatal dependency on ourselves? Would you help us like Jesus to empty ourselves, to humble ourselves? And then, God, for us to burst beyond the bounds of human limitations by actually living in the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit moment by moment. Teach us, Lord, as we say all the time around here, how to do life with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you've got questions about what it means maybe to have a relationship with Jesus or you have a prayer need, we have some volunteers up front that would love to pray for you. Otherwise, you guys go out and live in dependence on God's spirit.